0: Proverbs chapter 24, let's begin reading in verse 1. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking. Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul does not know it? Or does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? My son, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, there is a prospect, and your hope will not be cut off. Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these 16 verses, God. Thank you for your word. We're so grateful we have it to turn to. We recognize that you exalt your name even above your own word, Lord. And your word above your name, rather. And so we ask, God, that you would be our teacher this morning. We thank you for your word speaking. It's alive and powerful. We thank you that it's all that you've called it to be, Lord, in our lives. We thank you that it won't return void. We thank you, God, that uh, you use it in our lives to build amazing foundations in, Lord. Lord, in our hearts. And so we want, Lord, all that you have for us today. Help us, Father, to not just be hearers of your word, but be doers of your word. We recognize, God, that you want us to not forget what we look like when we gaze into your word. You want us to have you measure our lives against it. And so we yield our hearts to you, Lord. We're not interested in religious exercise, ritual, or anything like that. We're interested in you, and we, we hunger and thirst for you. We want to be fed by you. Thank you, Jesus, that you equated Peter's love for you by how he fed and tend your people. And, Lord, we want to be fed by you, and we thank you for your great heart towards us, and we commit this time to you. We ask that you'd set it aside for your holy use. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> We've been looking at the book of Proverbs. We've been going through it verse by verse. I can't believe we're already in chapter 24. You may be saying, well, I can't believe it's taken so long to get to chapter 24. But, um, you know, for me, I'm like, I just it's, it goes by so fast. Um, and, and it's great because God shows us in his word the, the, the value of wisdom and the value of knowledge. How many times, you know, when you take an inductive Bible study class, you learn all about repeating words and how important it is when you're observing and drawing out of the text what's there, instead of infusing what you want to be there, you actually see all these things that, that are signposts and indicators that something's important. One of those things is repeating words. And as we've gone through the book of Proverbs, verse by verse, how many times have we seen the preeminence of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and all those things? As we've talked about, wisdom is knowledge rightly applied, or the proper application of knowledge and wisdom comes from God that's just the fact I mean with the beginning of, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom so we've been looking at all these things it's very easy for us to forget it's why it's important if we can or if we are able to to be able to take notes to be able to write things down to be able to go back and look at things because it's easy to forget those things and to not only forget them but to uh, not apply them currently that's as I've said many times I love the imagery that James talks about related to the Word of God being a mirror because a mirror gives us a present tense snapshot. You don't look in the mirror and see yesterday's image or tomorrow's image. You see today's image. And that's how God's Word's intended for us because and Peter wrote about this in his second epistle, talked about the importance of being reminded over and over again, and just it's important for us to be able to see things over and over, because it's not only do we forget, but also at any given time we not, may not be obeying that particular thing, but the last time we read it or heard it or thought about it, we were obeying it. And so our situation changed, our behavior changes, and thus God's word needs to stay the same, but we have to look at it and, and recognize it. It's a present tense snapshot of where we're at. And so he's filled his word, every jot and tittle, all 613 laws in the law of Moses. I mean, all the things that his word from Genesis chapter one to revelation, he has an amazing revelation of his will and, and his desire and his love affair with man and his desire to save man and all the wisdom that's found in it. At one point, Jesus in his public ministry talked to, to his disciples about calling them friends. I call you friends. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. And, and so one of the ways that he expresses his love to us is revelation, is revealing to us his word. And it's a beautiful word in the original language because it has to do with unveiling. When you have a statue and you're unveiling it for the first time, you know, or a, a bust, you know, I think of, unfortunately, a, a Batman. You know, we had that bust in the library. Come on now, you humor me if you haven't seen this, but you know the, the, there's the bust in the library and they pull the head back and they flip the switch and the, 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 the pseudo or faux library uh, you know, bookcase opens up and they go down the poles and everything. And that was my only reference to art, sadly. Uh, I know you feel sorry for me, but um, you know, that was it. But when you unveil a, a bust or a statue, you don't see any of it until you see all of it. And that's how it is for us. When we look at his word, it, it, we, when we didn't have it, we, we, we didn't have any of his word. When I was talking to a brother last night about reading the Bible before he came to know Christ. And I said, it's like reading someone else's mail. It's not relevant. It doesn't seem like it's to us. But when we come to know Christ, now all of a sudden his word is opened up to us and we have all of it but yet our understanding is limited and our capacity to receive is there, but is a process of learning and, and assimilating and appropriating his word. And it's beautiful. And as he continu- continues to mature us, he gives us an increasing hunger for his word. And it's beautiful. And he loves it. He lo- Remember one time when he said, oh, Father, the you've revealed these things to babes? He's rejoicing that the simple, those that are not the highly educated and all of that, those that the world would, would cast off and not see as an, a priority or, or not think that it's worth dispensing truth to them, they are getting it. They are understanding the truth of God and getting the, the whole reason why he, was, he came in, in part and all of that, and he's rejoicing over that, and he rejoices because we're simple ones too. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you, but we're the simple ones too. We're the foolish things of this world who he uses to confound the wise. I just love when the whole account of, you know, um, Stephen, and he's going through all these things. There's things in that I call it a sermon or a discourse or whatever. Or you could call it a smackdown. You could call it a, I don't know. what There's all different descriptions for it, but there's things in there that we learn from the Old Testament that we don't have anywhere else that's revealed. It's beautiful. But he, he's a man that just filled with the Holy Spirit. They couldn't resist the wisdom. They knew the disciples were from God, uh, they were just amazed at how, like, how do they know this stuff? Because of revelation. So we can't not be appropriating Scripture correctly by mishandling it in the sense of not aiming. Because none of us do it perfectly. Aiming to live it out, and when we live it out, we wisdom is justified by our children, and people see, wow, this God is really real because they're they're living in a way that's totally living where they wouldn't normally how they would live, but they're living that way, and so there must be a God. And, and it's, it's beautiful how God does it. So we've been looking at these verses, seeing this wisdom. He's going to continue today, and he begins in verse 1. He says, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. Envy. It's bad. Envy, bad. <laughs> you know, it's just simple. But especially evil men. How can we envy evil men? Or women for that matter. We, we can look what they have and we can trust in the mirage that their lives are great when in reality as far as God's concerned their lives aren't great and they are suffering in ways we may not see but even if we fully see their lives and we see everything and it doesn't seem like they're suffering there still is an end. God is not mocked whatever a man sows that shall he also reap. And so they are living their lives, and especially God's people, to be envious of evil men. What do they have that we could ever think is worth having? I mean, they they don't even have the capacity to enjoy, to the extent that God wants them to, the things that he's blessed them with, because it rains on the just and the unjust. And and they don't have the capacity to, because they don't have a context to enjoy those things. So he says, do not be envious of evil men. It doesn't matter how much money they have, how much power, how successful they are, how much accolades they receive, how many selfies people want to t- take with them, or how many, whatever following they have on social media, or whatever it is we think it's just the greatest life in the world, especially in contrast with ours, because that's really the idea here, is that you're thinking, well, I'm, you know, they have this, I don't. It's usually, we're very much included in that equation. They have this, I don't. And I want that thing. And he says, Don't envy evil men. And then notice the next part of verse 1 nor desire to be with them. Nor desire to be with them. Well, that raises a question, at least in my mind. Jesus was called the friend of sinners, he was around unbelievers. How else are we supposed to be salt and light and preach the gospel as we're supposed to? Because the Great Commission is something we either obey or we don't obey. We're called to preach that gospel. We can't do that if we're never around unbelievers. At one point, Paul said, to not be around unbelievers, you'd have to go out of this world. So it's impossible. We we have to be around unbelievers. And there's an appropriate way to be around unbelievers. And there's an inappropriate way to be around unbelievers. And the issue is, first of all, am I influenced or am I influencing? That's the first question. Because certain unbelievers, no problem being around. They don't tempt me. They don't lead me astray. They don't, I don't come away from them as feeling like I, I have to redirect my whole perspective biblically. But then there's other believers that are, do exactly that. And I struggle when I'm around them. And the Holy Spirit's faithful to show us who we, we should be around and who we shouldn't. We have to preach the gospel now, our main people that we're around and our deep relationships and all those things, they should be believers. We shouldn't feel super comfortable around unbelievers and feel like we're just one of them and everything's just fine and there's, there's in a practical level, really no difference between us and all of that, except I am a Christian. Like, that, we shouldn't be comfortable. There's a point in which we have to recognize that God's Word says, what does light have to do with darkness? What does Christ have to do with Baal? There, there is a separation that has to happen. When I became a Christian in 1990, I had two really close friends that I loved very much. I had to completely cut ties with them. Now, I didn't, I didn't explain that properly to them, and that hurt them, and I had to ask forgiveness later. But I knew that I had to cut ties, I had to burn those bridges, and all of that. And it seems like in our day, when someone gets saved, when someone receives Christ we don't talk to them about how to process their relationships. And I I think that we should focus on that more. Because we have to recognize that they pull us in and they have a negative effect on us. And we have to be very circumspect and careful about that. And so that's something that you can take to the Lord. Look at all your relationships. Who are your closest friends? Who do you spend the most time around? Who invests in you? Unbelievers are investing in you all the time or a believers investing because someone's investing in us. And God wants believers to be I remember when it hit me it was a, it was a heavy rev it was a heavy revelation. Uh, that's my little abbreviated version of that. But I remember thinking, do you I can choose who is around me, who I'm around. And I can choose believers that are way more mature than me and or or growing they're growing Christians. And, and that's going to raise me up and I'm going to be wise about who I'm around. That's what God really blessed in my life and, and still blesses in my life. And, and it's so it's important for us to recognize that. I want us to hold our place here and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and I want us to see what Paul had to say to the church of Corinth related to this. A church, As we know, when we went through 1 Corinthians, they were the, one of the most carnal churches, if not the most carnal church in the New Testament. <clears throat> In fact, one of them was was sleeping with his stepmother, and they put up with that. And Paul told him to ex- disfellowship him till he repents. So it was a, it, and and there was so much paganism there, and Diana, the temple to Diana, and just all this sexual lasciviousness and all this stuff. Now look at real quick First Corinthians chapter fifteen. I want you to look at verse thirty three. First Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now notice he says, do not be deceived. Why does he say that? Because we can be deceived. We can think it's not going to affect us. Oh, I'll rise above it. I will rise above it. And I, it won't affect me. It will affect you. You ever heard the saying, if you lie down with the dogs, you'd come up with fleas? It's true. It affects us. It's not just for kids. We don't just say that to our kids, it affects us as adults. That's why it's so important to have close relationships within the church. And it doesn't have to be this church, it could be other. I mean, the, God's church is huge, massive, it's way beyond us, obviously. And God God can give us relationships in in other people with other churches. And God is faithful to give us those relationships. But it's true. Notice it doesn't say evil company can corrupt good habits. Did you see that? It says evil company corrupts good habits. You could say it this way. Evil company will corrupt good habits. It just has an effect on us. And God knows that. And, and so I remember as a new Christian, like, man, I could barely make it to Wednesday for the youth group. Because I was just feeling like I'm a fish going upstream and all this stuff at work and dealing with all these relationships and everything. And just, I just needed to get back in fellowship and have God's word wash over me and all these things. And, 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 and that's, that means that we're, we're walking with Christ daily every day. We're taking up his cross daily and following him. And it's not supposed to be easy to live in this world. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be where we need other believers to be able to have the strength, in part, to be able to live the Christian life. But so often in the church today, in churches, unfortunately, and this breaks my heart and we're not immune from it, so understand me. There's no difference so often between people that claim to be Christians and the world. People can't tell the difference. And what they say, how they act, what they don't do, what they do do, what's where they spend their time, all these things, and there's no difference. So because Christians are living like the world, they don't need to be able to come in and get strengthened and refilled and all these things because that's just the case, unfortunately, more and more. Now, of course, there's many believers that are not in that category, but he's always working in our lives to have us be godly. And we have to have that constant intake and it doesn't help when we have ungodly people that are main relationships and have influence in our lives because we're not willing to cut those ties appropriately. Unlike me where I did it unappropriately or not appropriately. We need to do it appropriately and say, hey, I just need some space. I'm dealing with things. I'm growing in my walk. I just need, you know, however the Lord leads you to say it. But we need to then we don't have to shut out all this stuff that's coming into our minds. Most of those things are coming from things that we're self-inflicting us with. Relationships, what we hear, see, what we buy, what we, you know, all these things that we inundate ourselves and we wonder why we're struggling with our thoughts because we're filling our thoughts with garbage all the time. And garbage in, garbage out. So it's, it's very important for us to see that. Now let's go back to Proverbs 24. And he says in verse 2, For their heart devises violence and their lips talk of troublemaking. The wicked's hearts devise wickedness and their lips speak evil and it's contagious. Notice the word for at the beginning of verse 2. Or your version may say since or whatever. But we should not listen to those people and be with them because their heart devises violence and their lips talk of troublemaking. Now it may be something separate different than this but the point is ungodliness is coming from the heart and notice he knows their heart verse two for their heart devises violence God knows the, the, the heart of unbelievers and our hearts and they and it says and their lips talk of troublemaking Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so of course stuff's going to come out and it rubs off on us and it affects us more than we realize he says do not be deceived It will happen. It will affect us. Now notice the contrast in verses 3 and 4. He says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Now the immediate context here is a physical house. A contractor or someone that builds a house, through wisdom, I mean, you don't want me building one of your houses. Trust me. (laughs) I can't even hang a picture barely. I mean, I know what my gifts are not. And I don't have the gift of helps. Uh, Definitely don't have that gift. And I'm okay with that. It just costs me money because I have to pay people to do stuff or have people help me or whatever. But um, that's the immediate context here. And he's kind of, it helps us to see because the New Testament talks a lot about our house, our spiritual house and all those things. and, And we see that from other scriptures, and it takes the same wisdom or, you know, different wisdom, but the same in the sense that it's from God to be able to build our, our spiritual house well. We're told in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15 this, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. So, yes, your house and my house was built probably by a contractor that used wisdom, but in other scriptures we're told that God's called us to build a spiritual house in the sense of our lives and our influence and the platform that he has given us in this world with the people that we know and the people that he has planned for us to know that we don't yet know, that he's preparing us right now to be able to minister to them and he's always has the future in mind i quoted this earlier but proverbs 9 verse 10 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy one that is jesus is understanding so the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and so he says i've given you my revelation i've given you the new covenant that he purchased with his own blood for us And he's given us that. And he's given us the capacity to be able to weigh spiritual things. They're not known by the natural man. He can't know them. But for us, because he's given us his Holy Spirit, he's given us the capacity to compare spiritual with spiritual, to discern those things. And that's what he does. As we receive him and as we learn from him and as we study his word, we let his word wash over our lives, he directs our lives in a way that makes no sense to this world, and may not make sense to us at the time. But he knows what's best. And we start walking one day at a time. One week at a time. One, you know. And, and he starts changing our lives and undoing a lot of the things that we caused our lives to look like before we were walking with him. And it's beautiful. And we often want that to happen so fast. But we didn't get in a position, that position, really fast so sometimes there's a long period of time. But other things happen just like this. But we have to follow whatever he wants us to do. And his word will always, will always look back and go, I am so grateful I obeyed his word. I walked with the Lord almost 30 years. I've never had anyone say legitimately, you know, I regret obeying what God's word said. If I hadn't obeyed what God's word said, I wouldn't be in the situation. I've never seen that once. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that I have come that they would have life and have it more abundantly. And if you pare down everything related to the Christian life to one word, it is the word life. You could make a case for that. You could make a case for other words too. But it's, I have the pulpit right now. But you can make the case for life because everything is life. We receive life. We receive eternal life. You receive abundant life in this life because he has caused all these things to work in a way that makes us to be the disciples that he's called us to be you realize the honor it is to be called a disciple of Jesus it is an honor it's not a weight that weighs us down and holds us back and we're losing out on things and we're getting robbed of things because we're following the straight and narrow path people put that down all the time I love the straight and narrow path it's the path that Jesus is on He's on the straight and narrow path. I want to be on his path. I don't care if it's curvy or mountainous or whatever. I just want to make sure he's on it. And he is on the straight and narrow path. Truth is narrow. You deny that, you make a narrow truth claim. It's self-defeating. Truth is narrow. And, and all truth is narrow. It doesn't matter what it is. And I love the fact that he's so exclusive with who he is. And, and he the invitation's broad to everybody, but who he is is narrow because truth is narrow. And so we never regret following after him. He's given us an amazing capacity to be able to enjoy eternal life and the abundant life that he's called us to. Now, the abundant life can mean persecution. The abundant life can mean hardship, Can can mean loss, can mean people hurting you, can mean stripes. I mean... Look at 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul lays out this big long list of all the things that he had gone through up to that point. He hadn't even gone to Jerusalem yet. Experienced all that he experienced there with trying to witness to the Jews. He hadn't been in Caesarea yet in prison for two years. He hadn't gone through a shipwreck and bit by a viper. He hasn't gone back to Rome and imprisoned multiple times and beheaded. And he still has that big old long list of things that he had gone through up to that point. But see, that doesn't sell the Christian books. That doesn't sell all the things that we see. It's not popular today. It's not palatable. But, but men will, will not endure sound doctrine. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. They will heap up for themselves teachers that will give them what their itching ears want to hear. And, and so he just says, I, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. That's why it's the theme of our church. Because that's what he's led us to. That's what He's given us an appetite for So he says, verse 5, A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors there is safety. I love that. Verse 5, a wise man is strong. A wise man has knowledge and increases strength because we get strength from God's word. We get strength from following what he says to do and he says for by wise counsel you will wage your own war. Well what kind of counsel does God call us to have or how are we supposed to receive that counsel? Not by being under the counsel of the ungodly. We're told in Psalm 1 to to, that's not where we find our wisdom. Don't go to the world to get wisdom about God and you know what it says in second Timothy, I believe it is. I know the exact reference off the top of my head, but it says he's given us past tense, given he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Anything related to spiritual strength is found here in this word right here. Anything that we need, if it's not in here, we don't need it. It's that it I mean, do we really think we have a, a strength or a, an advantage to first century Christians who all they had was not even a whole Bible put together, but scraps and, you know, they, they were just put. I mean, right now in China, our brothers and sisters are trading pages of Scripture with each other. They don't they didn't even get a whole Bible. And, they, and they're so thankful for the little that they have. So the first century Christians have God's Word and that's all they have. They don't have anything modern, anything. They have just God, God and the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and God transforms them. Turns the world upside down. We keep trying to get back to the early church in many ways. In other ways, we're not because there were a lot of, there's a lot of carnality. But in a lot of ways, there was so much that God did through the church that we're trying to get back to. All they had was God's word. We don't need anything more than that. God can use other things, obviously. But we need God's word, and that's what he uses. And so he says, a wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. Maybe you're here today and you feel weak spiritually then have a, more of an intake of God's word and an intake of prayer and an intake of fellowship and an intake of fellowship and an intake of taking communion. I mean, we see Acts 2.42 so clearly in Scripture. That's what they did. And it says they continued steadfastly in those things. That's the basics. He hasn't given us 15,000 things to do and to have that strength and to be mature believers. He's given us just a handful of things but to be consistent and be steadfast with those things. And he says in verse six, and in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And I love that verse because it has saved me so many times. You know, I have a a whole email loop that I'm a part of that are only Calvary Chapel senior pastors. And so it's like the island of misfit toys redeemed by grace. I understand that um, because that's who we all are but um, it's, it's, it's great for me to be able to say hey you know I'm dealing with a, a roofer that's in our church that is dealing with no I'm just kidding uh, Pastor Tim's great but you know it, it, whatever situation it is help just like four four letters help you know what do I do and Just God provides so much wisdom and other pastors that I know. I know dozens and dozens and dozens of pastors I can just call up and say, hey, help. What do I do or whatever? But it's not just those people. God has sent very strategic people in my life that are there for me very specifically for any. They're so diverse. I have eight men, eight pastors that God has put into my life that have added something different throughout the years that I've needed. They're so different. But I've needed those, those men, and I still rely on those men in, in many ways. So I just love how God provides that. And so sometimes we have those people we don't recognize that God has sent them, or sometimes we don't recognize that they're available. If we would just pray and ask the Lord who they are, or maybe we don't have them and we just pray and ask the Lord, and he is yet to reveal them. And, and then other times it's us that he is placed in someone's life to be a counselor for them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Comfort those with the comfort with which you've been comforted. We've all gone through something. We've all been comforted and helped by God. And he says, now use that experience. Be able to say, I've been there. Or I've experienced something similar or whatever. Let me tell you how faithful God is. And he does it every single time. It's beautiful how God does that. So seek those counselors. But I will say this. Having too many counselors in certain situations can make things less clear for us. So be careful. It's not just having as many counselors as we can have. It's who are the ones that God's leading me to right now to deal with this situation. Because one counselor may not be the right one for the situation. But he may be or she may be a counselor in this particular situation. And bringing too many people into that circle of that, that situation may not be helpful. So pray about that. Verse 7. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. So we've looked at fools. We've looked at what a fool is in scriptures. It's someone that can be brilliant in terms of intellect, but is not doing the right thing, they're not applying wisdom. They're not doing the things they know to do. And also, another characteristic that's oftentimes uh, revealed for a fool is that they're lazy. But there's many other things that are characteristic. So we don't want to be a fool. But wisdom, it's, a fool doesn't seem that wisdom is valuable. He doesn't value wisdom. And it seems too high, you know, lofty there, he says. Too lofty for a fool. He may have that opinion or he may not. The point is, it rises above that fool. It's too high. They can't grasp it or, or assimilate it. And it says he does not open his mouth in the gate. And the gate was the power place. It was the, where everything was happening. It was like the city center at the gates of the city. So he doesn't open up his mouth to help people. He doesn't open his mouth to get clarification for other things, to be able to ask questions, to value wisdom. All the people that were important that he should be valuing were in the gate. They were the people there that he should be listening to and valuing what they say. They were the people that he should have as one of his counselors. And he couldn't get safety because he didn't value those people. And then he says, and he who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. That's the reputation that they get. You plot evil, you're called a schemer. We don't want that. We don't, we, God doesn't need scheming. He doesn't need any of those things. Wise as serpents doesn't mean that we're schemers. And that we're, you know, diabolical, and you know, we're really good at all, you know, all this. There's been all kinds of doctrines built on that that are ridiculous. But he warns against that. Verse nine: the devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So let's start with verse nine: the devising of foolishness is sin, and 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 so the things that are not appropriate they're not for us to be engaged in and see a pastor or a leader bible teacher would love to fill in the blanks here and and define foolishness and sometimes we can do that from scripture but that's where i trust the holy spirit can apply verses to people's hearts by the law of the spirit where he says that's not right you know paul wrote in first corinthians chapter 13 when i was a child i thought i was a child you know when i was i was an adult i put away childish things now childish can mean something different for one person versus another. The great thing is that the Holy Spirit's faithful to say, this is what it means to me for you. This is foolishness for you. It's okay for those people. That's a a freedom. That's a liberty for them. But for you, for what I've called you to do, that's foolishness. Holy Spirit's very faithful to do that. So we don't want to be engaged in devising those plans and all those things that That we're supposed to do because there's enough things that, or we're not supposed to do because there's enough things that he's called us to do that we don't have time to engage in these other things. And he says, and a scoffer is an abomination to men. So, verse 8, he says, um, someone will be called a schemer who devises plots to do evil, but also according to um, men and and so forth. If we're a scoffer, we're going to be an abomination to men as well. So, we have to be careful, obviously of that. And then in verse 10 we read that if you faint in the day of adversity your strength is small. Now I talk about faint in in the way I understand it is talking about because we all struggle, we all stumble he doesn't say any of those things but he's talking about giving up. Completely giving up. We will reveal that our strength was small if we completely give up um, in, in the day where things get hard. Because, again, the Christian books won't, won't sell if you talk about how hard the Christian life is. They just won't. They're just not going to be what people want to talk about. All they want to talk about is prosperity and having, getting everything in life that I want to have. They think that's Christianity where it's not. What Christianity is is following, loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, and following that whole, like that's how when we obey God's word, that's how he accomplishes those things. So in the day of adversity, when things get difficult, he's called us to be an overcomer. It's funny because Phil didn't know I was going to be teaching. I mean, he knew the verses, but I mean, it's amazing how there's songs that we sing that are perfect with what we're going to be talking about. But God's called us to be an overcomer. We sang the song. We're going to overcome by the word of the Lamb and the blood of our testimony. I mean, that's the tribulation saints and all those things, and, but the point is, is that we overcome in the same, in the same way. And, and so he's called us to be more than conquerors, we're told in Scripture. I'd be content with just being a conqueror. He's called us to be more than a conqueror. But we can only be more than conquerors because of what Christ did and because of his grace and his strength coming through in our life. We're told that his strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not in a, that verse is not in a vacuum they were the philippian church were giving and serving and pouring their lives out and all of that and he's saying that you've been faithful in all those things and god is never going to be the debtor of those who give and sacrifice and serve and all these things and and so he says that's that's the, the strength that's the key to having strength and and overcoming and not fainting in the day of adversity is overcoming by god's grace to be able to f- follow hard after him. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I love that. They shall walk and not faint. The verse that we're looking at says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So in Isaiah 40, we're told that When we wait on the Lord, and that's being dependent upon the Lord. When we wait upon the Lord, the Lord shall renew our strength. And he does. See, I tell people, especially in crises, that God hasn't called us to be strong in ourselves at all. He's called us to be dependent. And as we're dependent upon him, he gives us strength. And he gives us grace anyway, even when we're not dependent upon him. Because he loves us. But as we depend and we're yielded over to him even more, he gives us even more strength in all those things. And his strength really is made perfect in weakness. Paul prayed three times for this thorn in the flesh to be removed from him because of the abundance of his revelations. Apparently, we don't know, but it's possible that because of pride, he could be lifted up in pride. And so God gave him these thorns in the flesh that buffeted him, that enabled him to have his uh, posture towards the Lord and other people the way that it should be. We're told in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, And let us not grow weary while doing good, but in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. See, that's what he's called us to. He doesn't want us to lose heart. He cares about our hearts. And as we yield to him, as we wait upon the Lord, as we just throw ourselves at his feet and ask for his strength, he gives us all that we need to do the things that he's called us to do. He knows that when we do good, we will become weary. Sometimes people are surprised by that. I'm so exhausted of all this ministry and all these things I'm doing. It's not supposed to be so tiring if I'm doing it right, right? What book are you reading? Are you reading the, you know, the Barney dinosaur Bible or like what's the, what are you reading here? I mean, it's scripture. It's hard. God has called the leaders of the church to equip the saints for the work, work, for the work of ministry. It's work. He prayed that, he asked us to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers that would labor in the harvest field. That's out there. Labor in the harvest field to win people to Christ. That's what he's called us to to do and he knows that we're going to get tired at one point in his public ministry he takes the disciples and he they go on this short boat ride it didn't last long we're minister was like come away for a while you haven't even had time to eat it says that they didn't have time to eat because they were coming and going and ministering and all that he comes come away for a while it didn't last very long but he knows we need rest and he knows that it is tiring but he says that if we lose heart then that risks the the perpetuity of our ministry Because it requires our heart to be engaged with him to be fruitful. Because if we're not abiding in him, he's not going to bear fruit through us. So he knows that. He continues in verse 11. Deliver those who are drawn toward death. Deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. Verse 12. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? So this is basically a situation where you know that someone is going to die. and You have the capacity to save them. and you. But you act as if you didn't know that they were at risk of dying. And he's saying God knows your hearts. He knows what you know. So if you try to act like you didn't know that their life was in danger, then God knows that. And, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a warning for us. To, God knows our hearts. We need to do the things that we need to do that are appropriate, that he's called us to do, and not worry about the consequences. And it takes grace for that, obviously. We know that. But whatever he's called us to do in the moment, especially when life and death's at stake, and spiritually speaking with the lost, it's some, eternal life and death is at stake, way greater than physical life and death. And if he's telling us if we're at that gas pump and he puts that other SUV or that car and we can't get rid of that thought and it's, it's like building in our hearts. We know we're supposed to share with them. We need to obey and go and open our mouths and preach the gospel or pray for that or whatever it is. However, the Lord leads us to be engaging with them. And he does that. And, and there are times where, you know, it's not him, you know, but most of the time it's him. Usually our flesh isn't going to want to step out and be, risk rejection. And I know the enemy doesn't want us preaching the gospel. So process of elimination, it probably is God. And, and it's beautiful. And many people have come to know Christ by, by believers just being led by the Spirit. You know, the, Jesus likened the, the us to when the wind blows. And you don't know where it's going. You don't know where it came from and all of that. And he said, so are those that are born of the Spirit. That means that no one can figure us out. That, that, and we can't even figure us out. we don't know what he's going to lead us to do. When we get up today and we settle that lordship issue once again. And we, we, we take up our cross that day. Lord, this is your day. Whoever you want me to talk to, I'm going to talk to. Wh- whatever you want me to do today, my life is yours. I've been bought with a price. We have no idea what's going to happen that day. And I just cannot stand. And it's in my own heart too, so hear me in context. I can't stand how predictable... Things that happen among various ministries and churches are. You could see it a million miles away. Some things are rightfully predictable in the sense that they're biblical and all these things. But in terms of their plan, their vision, their whatever. They have a five-year plan, 10-year plan, 15-year Like all these things. And I'm not saying God can't use those things. But if you look at the book of Acts, you see spontaneity in the moment of being led by the Spirit. Not knowing what's going to happen one moment to the next. Where is that in the Christian where is that in the world? It's, it's only with believers that are led by the Spirit. That wasn't in my notes, and I'm, I don't know if I'm thankful for that or not, but I said it. So, all right, let's keep going. Um, he says, verse 13, My son, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste. So, you know, I think of Yogi Bear. I think of Pooh Bear. You know, Pooh Bear liked Honey. We made Pooh Bear sandwiches for our kids. You know, honey is good. It's good. It's. I mean, when, especially in this day, you're still thinking about Pooh Bear sandwiches. I know it's. 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 I know it's dysfunctional. But, um, but especially in this day, a honeycomb having honey on it that was so valuable. It was so valuable and so wonderful. And then he links it. It's not just hey, I want you to eat sweet things. <laughs> Look at verse fourteen. So notice the word so so shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul if you have found it there is a prospect which means reward and your hope will not be cut off so shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul he's wanting him to eat that honey and experience the great taste of that because he wants to compare that to how our hunger and thirst for his truth should be and how our soul needs it you know. Sometimes I just, sometimes I just am so dry spiritually. And you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) that can't be, that's not a good sign. But it's true. One moment to the next, one day or whatever, I feel dry. And I'm just being transparent. And then I just dig into God's word. I just pray and I seek God and I worship and all of that. And it's like water just flooding my soul, flooding my soul. And I just think of a cracked desert that's just, had not had water on it forever. That's the picture I see of him as I just allow him to fill me to overflowing. And that's what he wants for all of us. And he's saying, my son, notice the first two words there in verse 13. Again, we've been seeing this pattern, we've been passing things on to his son. And he's saying, son, you need to have, just like honey will be to your lips, or honey is to your lips, so will God's wisdom be to your soul and he says if if you have found it there is prospect or or a reward we know that those of us that have found that know how precious it is we're not going to exchange it for anything and he says and your hope will not be cut off because God's word is full of hope it's full of hope now verse 15 he speaks right to the wicked (laughs) says do not lie in wait O wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous do not plunder his resting place. So he gives a verse for the wicked right there. And and so he says, don't don't lie in wait, don't mess with the righteous. And so for the righteous, for us, God sees all the wickedness that happens to us. That evil men plat, plot and plan towards us. He sees all of that, and it matters to him that they do that. And and obviously, we don't have to get revenge. He hasn't called us to get revenge. Because ultimately, justice will be done. They'll either receive forgiveness because justice was done related to Christ on the cross to take the full punishment that we all deserved. But then if they don't receive Christ, they're going to be judged and and, and all of those things. Ultimately, God's going to take care of everything and we don't have to take things in our own hands. Verse 16. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. But the wicked shall fall by calamity. So he began the whole um, chapter with, don't be envious of an evil man. And here he's ending this, I know that's cutting in the middle of the chapter, but he says, for a righteous man, they may fall. We may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. And that word calamity means disaster, by absolute Disaster, And even if they live a prosperous life in this world and all of that, and there's all this, this outer facade of um, just blessing and all these things that we see, we, we stumble by, he says, in the end, it will happen. There will, the, there will be a, a judgment day. There will be the great white throne judgment. And anyone's name who's not found in the Lamb's book of life will be cast in the lake of fire. That's going to happen. He doesn't want it to happen for people. He wants to save people, but it's going to happen. But he says, a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. Again, he talked about fainting, right? We saw that about fainting, giving up and all of that. He says, a righteous man may fall seven times. Now you may say, I've fallen way more than seven times. (laughs) I'm on number 462nd time, you know, where I've fallen or whatever. And, And God loves you and loves everything that what He's doing in your life, he never gives up on us. Jesus said He will never leave us, nor forsake us. And that's true. It doesn't matter what man does to you. It doesn't matter what you've suffered. I mean it matters. obviously, it's important to God, and He cares about what you've gone through. But the point is is that He is never going to leave us nor forsake us. He is never going to leave you nor forsake you. Just think about that. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. You could just say that over and over and over again. That's all I need. You know, in the Old Testament, they were like, well, if you go with me, you know, like, all that mattered is, is that God went with them, and he did. And, 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 but they would turn on him, and they would fall back into idolatry, and they would get, be judged, and they would cry out to God. He would take them back. It's a total picture of the Christian life in many ways. And, and it's, it, but he's called us to this, this abundant life of victory and being overcomers, and not letting our failures and our sin and all these things and our insecurities and our fear and our worry define us. Who gets to define us? God gets to define us in His Word. It doesn't matter what we think about ourselves, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about us. It matters what God says about us. He gets to define who we are. And what He says is, we're sons and daughters, we've been adopted. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Do you value that today? Do I value that today? If we value it, then we need to love him with everything in our hearts and everything in our lives. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Obedience. We can say whatever we want with our mouths. We can fool everybody around us. We can act really spiritual. We can win Academy Awards for our acting. But he knows our hearts, and he knows who we really are and what we really value. And obedience reveals who we really are. And there's going to be, it's going to be tested, if it hasn't already. We're going to have a choice. We're either going to obey what his word says or we're going to disobey. And if we disobey, he doesn't want to discipline us, but he will discipline us. He loves us too much not to. Hebrews chapter 12 reveals that very clearly. We wouldn't be legitimate children if he didn't discipline us. But he does discipline us, which shows us we are legitimate children. And so just like any good parent disciplines their kids because they love them and they're seeing where it all leads, God does the same thing. So we have to be appropriating this wisdom well by obeying what he says. And the the unrighteous are going to fall away. They're going to not survive they're not going to live with God for eternity not everybody goes to heaven maybe you're here visiting and you think everybody when they die goes to heaven they don't that's the truth I'd be sinning if I told you anything contrary not everybody goes to heaven when they die there are people that believe in God there are people that go to church and there are people that are religious even in Calvary chapels that die and go to hell because they're not born again they don't know Christ. Jesus said many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done these miracles in your name and prophesied in your name? He'll say, I never knew you. You may have gone to church, you have been religious, but if you don't know Christ, you are not on your way to heaven. You may be from a religious family, a Christian family, but you've never, you know in your heart, everyone thinks you have, but you haven't trusted in Christ, you haven't turned to God. And trusted in Christ to pay your way to heaven. You don't have your own faith. God knows that. And if he's speaking to you, you need to come forward after the service. We'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship with him or answer your questions, give you a Bible, whatever you need. You could be wrong on anything in life. Don't be wrong where you're going to be, spend eternity. That's the one thing you cannot get wrong in this life. I love you too much to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you, always tell you the truth. And you need to tell yourself the truth and and tell one another the truth because that's what he's called us to. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. We are so thankful for how amazing it is. And we've enjoyed these verses, Lord. And we know that you had plans for them for us. And Lord, we know that you have plans for them even beyond what we know of right now. And we yield to you. Lord, speak to us ongoing about these verses We want to, we're listening, we're your servants, we're here. And we want you to speak to us, God, and make us more Christ-like. We just thank you for the privilege of being able to live different kind of lives for you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.